Hi, you're listening to Elevate, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. They know they shouldn't be letting people down. They know that they shouldn't have blurted out secrets. They're sort of knowing what is happening, but without asking for help, they are suffering this on their own. It's just changing your expectation of what these children can do. They have energy bouncing out of every pore of their body. Harness that. Where do we stop thinking that we need to be in control or we need to be the bosses of children or we need to rule over a child? We don't. We just need to be kind and we need to listen to them. Welcome to the Elevate podcast, a series designed to explore teachings, ideas and thoughts on empowering young girls while celebrating difference. I'm Ramita Anand, your host, teacher and educational mentor, and I'll be chatting with insightful activists, thought leaders, creatives, and all-round brilliant champions for girls. Through these conversations and my work at Elevate RA Mentoring Services, I hope we can join forces to foster meaningful connections in order to alter the narrative around what being different, especially for young girls, signifies. Our guest today is a woman with huge rigor and drive. She is working extremely hard to bust the important stigmas around attention deficit hyperactive disorder by supporting families with ADHD through kindness and understanding and with the platform that she founded called Yellow Sun, which is a haven of amazing supportive mechanisms across a variety of impressive and different means. She explains, for those with ADHD, a neurological condition, being disorganized, forgetting things, being late, mucking up social relationships is merely a byproduct of a very busy ADHD brain. Her passion about breaking the stigma is evident in the various efforts that she is involved in, such as attending the all-party parliamentary group on ADHD in Parliament. She's a trustee of the charity ADHD Action and runs a membership group called Together Stronger Club, where members have access to online coaching, training, and exclusive resources. As a mother of an adult son with ADHD, she has huge amounts of empathy for parents who are struggling with children and or adults with ADHD, providing real practical solutions and ideas to make life happier and calmer. My guest is also the author of the book, Five Reasons Why Most Schools Fail Your Child with Special Needs, which helpfully includes tips, insights, and advice for others with differences. When not attending in Parliament to bust the ADHD stigmas, she may be found cheering on her favorite football team, the Tottenham Hotspurs, or even dancing away to the music of heartthrob musician, Robbie Williams. I met with our guest some years ago in London by her son, who happens to be a fabulous hairdresser and was doing my hair when we were chatting away. Our chat led us to him asking what I do for work. And upon hearing my response, he immediately told me that I must connect with his mother, a connection that was meant to be, as my guest then kindly agreed to run a workshop for the school that I worked at to train other teachers on ways to support children with ADHD. She is a remarkable source of knowledge, empathy, and her understanding of this very overwhelming arena left all those in attendance 
completely inspired. So it is with such joy and gratitude that I welcome the lovely Solly Lazarus for coming onto the podcast and thanking her to continue sharing her wisdom with all of you. A huge warm welcome to you, Solly. Thank you so much for making the time to come and chat to us. Do you know what? If you could see me, um, I know this is a podcast, I am blushing. I'm, I'm feeling a little bit emotional. That is such a lovely introduction. Um, made even more lovely that it was my gorgeous son that um, did our, this connection. So um, thank you for that. I hope I can live up to um, that, that beautiful introduction. So thank you. Oh, an absolute pleasure. It's all the truth facts. I'm just here, you know, relaying them. So thank you for all the hard work that you do. And thank you for taking the time for being here. And you're right. Um, you know, we owe your son so many, so many <laughs> things. Do. And sometimes we talk about things being written in the stars. And I think sometimes um, energy and I re- I'm a real believer of that is, is an important part of connection. So I'm grateful for the energy that he brought, uh, brought us together. Oh, bless him. How is he anyway? Is he doing well? He is great. Um, obviously, we are in the middle of lockdown. So um, somebody with ADHD, I mean, we'll probably talk about it a little bit more, but um, somebody who is buzzy and creative and a bit of a risk taker to be stuck indoors. Um, he needs excitement. And um, so he's getting very bored. Um, he did buy himself a little puppy, which um, is... Um, so again, it was one of these very impulsive things. And we, we tried to say to him, not really a good idea, but impulsively, um, he went for it. And actually, he was completely right, because it's been his little saviour in this lockdown. You know, it's been company and given him something to focus on. So yeah, he is great. Oh, isn't that great? And he is obviously not alone in doing the pandemic puppy purchase. Yeah, I think what it shows you is that connections are so important, whatever that connection is, we're not we're not designed to be on our own, we have to have some kind of social warmth and connection. So his puppy who's called Joey, and he honestly, he's the sweetest little thing. So yeah, it was a great so shout out to Joey. Welcome to the family, Joey, and hi, David. It's been a long time, and I and I miss you. So, hopefully, you'll listen to this, and you'll you'll get to hear how much I I think of you. So, snowballs well. Going back to speaking to you and your personal experience of of obviously raising a son with ADHD, you you quote. I'm going to quote you. You say that it is an equal measure of joy and predictability when you are living with your chaotic son which obviously he, you don't live with him now, but I would love to have you explain to me what you meant by this and how you balance the two extremes of the, you know, either end of the spectrum. Do you know what? We're not living with him now, but um, we might as well be because, you know, phone calls and FaceTime and, and, and that joy and unpredictability transcends space because we still get it. Um, and I think that's the thing with ADHD is, um, it is that um, element of he does bring joy because he's got the most amazing energy, um, sense of humor. He notices stuff. He picks up the nuances of things. He lights up a room with his energy. But 
he can make very poor decisions. He is very disorganized. He loses things. He breaks things. He changes his mind. He can't keep to um, one topic. He'll meander in and out of different different topics. So you you have to be on it. You know, you have to be sharp. Um, and so for parents with, with children with ADHD and particularly younger children, it is very challenging because you can't rest. You can't really relax. Um, when he was little, there was no way I could have said, just go and sit and do that little jigsaw or go and sit and do some colouring, honey, while I, well, mummy just has a cup of tea. You know, that kind of thing. When I found out that that was a thing, you know, it was just, it, it, it's impossible to, to not have to have your eyes going all the time. So families now in lockdown with children with ADHD um, is very, very challenging. Actually, in your introduction, you said I was an author of a book, but I'm actually, I've got another book due out spring 2021. Um, and it's with the publishers now. It's being printed now, I think, as we speak. And, and it's called ADHD is a Superpower. And it's actually for children. So it's a children's picture book. And the whole thing is just saying, yes, these are challenges. Yes, you do have a busy, chaotic brain. Yes, you will start three projects and not finish any of them. Or you will leave it to the very, very last minute to start a project. But you have got amazing... Uh, creativity you're very curious you're fearless you know so it's flipping the things that we find difficult and looking at them in a different way um which I think is a long way of saying the answer to that question no it's 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 great because what you're looking at is the, what you say the positives the superpowers that we sometimes forget about because we're so wrapped up in the oh gosh what he isn't or she isn't doing well and I think you touched on a really important point because we are in the in the global pandemic and there must be lots and lots of families at the moment who are struggling work and other children as well as online learning and for kids with ADHD. I don't know how easy uh, sitting down in front of a computer, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything you can offer families in terms of some support in, in that, but um, it can't be easy. It's not only not easy, it's absolutely impossible. Here in the UK, teachers had to start thinking in a different way, how are we going to deliver this curriculum? And they've done brilliantly. And this, we're now in our third lockdown. And this time, teachers have really prepared staff and um, have prepared online lessons and are uploading it. And for a lot of children, that is fabulous. You know, they're access, accessing that. For our children who are so distracted so turned off learning because school, um, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about school, but um, school does not suit our children with ADHD at all. They need movement. They need change. They need snappy, quick things going on. They need um, highly motivating ways to access the curriculum. And that doesn't suit every teaching style. And you you and I were both teachers. It's hard to deliver that when you've got 30 children, but you've got one or two who's got ADHD. You're delivering to the, the masses. Um, so a lot of our children are completely turned off learning. So you then get them home where um, 
home is meant to be your safe space home is where you chill and relax and suddenly home is now spilling over into school stuff so that's hard for a brain to compute anyway are we home are we school what is this so our children find that transition very difficult but also you have if you think of just one lesson say even being 30 minutes you have to have the introduction to the lesson the lesson the practice the consolidation the independent learning all in the space of half an hour and that needs full focus and concentration our children cannot focus and concentrate for three minutes if they are not on it if it's nothing that they are interested in if nothing that is urgent for them to do if it's not something that um, is hugely motivating they'll be off they'll be thinking of something else they'll be distracted there'll be sensory distractions so for a parent to have to say particularly if they've got say two or three children, right, it's time for everybody to go and do their maths. It's you, The teachers have uploaded. Um, I've got some home work that I'm doing as well because a lot of our parents are having to work from home. Um, impossible. So what I am actually advising people is um, call it home learning and however that home learning occurs, whether it's through playing, through activities like baking or um measuring um measuring a wall for new wallpaper um you know make it really practical how whatever that home learning looks like put it on a schedule put it on a plan because our children need visuals and stick to that plan and if it's 10 minutes of home learning you're done and you, you've you've ticked the criteria that you've done your home learning for today because to think that you're going to do sit in front of a computer from nine o'clock to three o'clock is not going to happen. And, and it will make parents feel like failures. It will ruin relationships within homes and it will make children feel cross and angry. And it's just not worth it. Yeah, gosh, that's, you know, really comforting to hear. And I think that will offer a lot of support to many, many parents, even if they don't have a diagnosis of ADHD. I think all parents need probably a little, well, a huge pat on the back and, and, and teachers too for doing, for getting through this difficult period at the best that we all can. Such, it's all new territory, isn't it? And it's obviously, yeah, massively challenging. I wonder if you wouldn't mind then talking to me a little bit about the differences between what we call ADHD and ADD. According to the, the DSM criteria, there are um, three types. So one type is inattentive ADHD, and that is the one where we wouldn't necessarily notice. So it's normally um, a child who would just be switched off, look a bit dreamy, look a bit disengaged, but everything's twirling inside their head. So that's the inattentive type. Um, the other type is hyperactive and impulsive. So hyperactive is what we would ordinarily think of ADHD, which is a little kid running around, um, constantly interrupting, fidgeting, moving. And impulsive is um, just not having um, the breaks, just not thinking before you're doing stuff. So um, it, again, interrupting, um, doing things without thinking it through. Um, so that's the second type. And then the third type is combined. So combined of inattentive and then hyperactive and impulsive. So it used to be that if you were 
the second type. So if you had hyperactivity and impulsivity, um, no, I'd say it the other way around. If you have just inattentive, um, it was considered that you didn't have the hyperactivity. So the H bit of ADHD wasn't included. It would just be you have inattentive ADD. Um, it's now considered, though, that even if you've got the inattentive type, the, you've still got some impulsivity. You've got lots of impulsivity. And as far as hyperactivity goes, it might not necessarily be on the outside, but it's internal sort of anxiety and internal your ba brain is still as busy as the other types. So ADHD is really the term generally used across the board. Um, if anybody refers to ADD, then that's they're probably referring to the inattentive type without the hyperactivity. But I don't think it's very useful to, to think of that because, as I say, I think all the features of, of ADHD would occur with whatever ever type of diagnosis you've got. And interestingly, so if you've got a, a diagnosis of ADHD, you've got 60% chance of being diagnosed with another neurodevelopmental condition like dyslexia, dyspraxia, um, dyscalculia. And um, I know you've had the lovely Sienna on your podcast, and she's a great advocate of neurodiversity. Um, so there's a school of thought that we actually don't call it autism, ADD, ADHD, dyslexia. We just call the whole thing a neurodiverse condition because there is so much overlap. Um, a lot of our children have features of autism. A lot of our uh, children have features of sensory processing. Um, a lot of our children have dyslexia. So instead of sort of saying you've got this and this and this, perhaps it would be better just to sort of say, well, they've got a neurodiverse brain. And because of that, this is the behavior. And because of that, this is the support that they need. So it's interesting. Very interesting. And I think it would help parents possibly, because I think if you're thinking of it in compartments, of, well, this is the spelling issue with dyslexia. I'm going to combat that today by doing some phonics work with you. But actually, you can't if the attention isn't there and you've got a working memory problem and you've, you've forgotten things, you know, that, that were occurred to you an hour ago. There's so much to think about when you're a parent or a teacher and you're trying to devise a learning plan or a, an individualized educational plan, even as teachers, for children who may be diagnosed with the same condition but present differently because of comorbidity. 100%, exactly, exactly. And this is this comes down to education, doesn't it? That I would say a lot of teachers, if you haven't been trained in ADHD in the last five years, a lot of teachers will just think of it as a naughty little boy running around the classroom calling out when actually it's so much more. You know, it's children who have got, um, as you say, poor executive function difficulties. They might have sensory difficulties. They might have communication difficulties. There also might be a learning difficulty um, because not doesn't, that doesn't necessarily follow. A lot of people with ADHD are super smart um, but have failed because the system doesn't suit them. This this sitting and listening and focusing doesn't suit a, a child with a very busy brain, a very creative, busy brain. Yeah. It's interesting that you said what you said when you sort of presented us the, the image that might come to a teacher's or in an any adult's mind, it doesn't have to be a teacher, of a 
child with ADHD, we immediately think of a, a naughty hyper boy who's fidgeting. And it's an interesting one that we use the word boy. I wonder if a that's one of the stigmas that we're trying to break, but also if we could, and I and I know that your your sort of experience with your son, you know, speaks to that. But I also wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about how ADHD presents differently in girls and boys. It doesn't necessarily present differently per se uh, for a girl or a boy. The difference will be is if they're more of an inattentive type or they're more of a hyperactive type or they're more of an impulsive type. Um, Traditionally, the boys were diagnosed because they were the hyperactive type and they're in your face and they're obvious and then they're the ones that the educational psychologist will come in and observe. Traditionally, girls who were inattentive were sitting there quietly, not bothering anybody, sort of doing all the things that they can to to cover up and mask that they had difficulties. And girls are very clever at being able to to do that because girls want to fit in. Girls don't want to want to feel like they're they're different. And that's where I think it's more of a gender thing rather than. But we know that it's it's an equal split. Um, it's just traditionally and historically, we didn't know about the inattentive type, and it was it was boys who were presenting. The thing we're concerned about now, we know about inattentive ADHD, is that young people are masking, young people aren't asking for help. They're getting through. We also know that young people with inattentive ADHD want to appear to be perfect. So they then will spend too much time and an ordinary amount of time perfecting something. So we know um, ADHD have very poor time management. So classically, there'll be a huge project to do. And somebody with ADHD will think, yeah, it's fine. I've got ages. Won't use a calendar, won't use alarms to remind them. We'll just think, nah, I've got ages. Come the night before, it's, I think I ought to really start on this now because somebody with ADHD is great at procrastinating, putting stuff off. So they'll, they'll start the night before. But somebody with possibly inattentive ADHD will not just want to do that project, will want to do it perfectly because they won't want anybody to know that they started it the night before. So they will want to put all the effort in, will hyper-focus on it, will not be distracted with anything else because now this is urgent. Now they have to do it. Um, So we know our young people with inattentive ADHD, that's when they start to get anxiety and that's when they start to really suffer with their mental health because they know they should have started this earlier they know they shouldn't be letting people down they know that they shouldn't have blurted out secrets so they sort of knowing what is happening uh but but without asking for help they um, are are suffering and, and managing this on their own which is is not useful or helpful no and heartbreaking as well i think that they're getting themselves into such a a tiz about everything, but there are children out there who are just exuberant and who just have a lot of energy and possibly don't have a condition associated with their exuberant energy. At what stage and age do you think the boisterous energy then becomes a concern? And what at what stage do you think parents should seek professional advice? 
So that is such a great question. And, and quite often that is like the headline that will get into a newspaper, you know, that parents are drug pushers and and not everybody could possibly be having ADHD. I mean, we know it's um, 5% or 1 in 20 or 1 in every class. Um, it could be 2, it could be 3. So one of my things about busting the stigma is empowering parents with how do you bat away nonsense like that? Um, how do you bat away those sort of comments? Yeah, oh, my, my son um, won't sit still. Oh, my son's then got ADHD. Yeah, yeah, I'll give them medication. You know, and re it really belittles our parents. So as a parent, first of all, you have a gut instinct you know something is not quite right. And it's not just a question of them having energy and being very boisterous. It's them not remembering instructions, um, being incredibly disorganized, being really impulsive, not being able to take your turn, um, uh, forgetting things, losing things, N not only being boisterous, but watching television upside down or constantly moving or up and down, or you're trying to have a family meal and they're, they're on their knees, they're on the floor, they're under the table, they're on the chair, they're swinging. They're, you know, so it's, it's completely an incapability of being still or being quiet or not having uh, an opinion or, um, or being organized or being on time or, you know, it's not just that, my child's a bit bouncy, so they've got ADHD. You know, as a parent, it's not being invited to birthday parties. What do the other children know about your child? That there is something about them that you, they just can't make friends. Friendships is a big indicator. S some children behave like the class clown, uh, and that might make them popular. Um, but mainly our children find it very hard to connect because they miss a joke because they're thinking of something else or um they will interrupt a game because they can't understand the rules or they will blurt out a secret because they didn't quite understand well no you shouldn't have said that so our, our children find relationships very hard so yeah you know the bounciness is one aspect but as a parent you know it, there is more, you know, sensory. We, we've spoken a bit about sensory. Um, our, our children can be freaked out with noise, can be freaked out with lights, can be freaked out with smells, or they're, they're sensory seeking and constantly chewing something or constantly uh, needing to bite something or constantly smelling something. You know, it's behavior that if you looked um, from outside, you would see there's something not quite right here you know and as a teacher there would be people in our class that you know are, you've you've done everything you've done all the support you've given a differentiated worksheet you've allowed them to sit on a chair um, instead of on the floor you've given them something to stroke you know and still there's something not quite you know there's something that you can't put your finger on so it's that it's that gut instinct interesting I wonder if you think there's this particular age at which this would be helpful for parents to go and seek professional advice for. Again, that's a really good question. So us as parents, I knew, I, I knew right, right from the off. I speak to, I speak to my clients and I always get a history and they say from a baby, 
you know, they wouldn't settle or, you know, at nursery, my son, you know, the childminder said, I can't do this anymore. You know, we had various babysitters who gave up, you know, so you know, from a very young age that, that, that you know, the normal teacher stare is not going to work here. There is something else um, adrift. However, if you go to a psychiatrist, they will be very loath to actually diagnose ADHD before the age of six. Um, some um, say seven, because they have to discount developmental delays um, or social maturity or emotional maturity. There also might be family dynamics of why a child is behaving um, as they do. Um, there's a, a trauma theory that children who suffer trauma in early, very early life uh, might also present with ADHD. My thinking about all these um, different theories and scenarios is if you are observing as an adult that this child, this little baby is having trouble, we need to step in and, and change things to help this child. And I think this is what's wrong with education because too often we see a child struggling and we say, no, but this is the system this is how we want you to do it. And if you don't do it, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to give you a red card. I'm going to put your name on the board. I'm going to stop you going out to play. I'm going to give you a detention. I'm going to expel you. Um, and if punishments work for our children, then the prisons wouldn't be full of people with ADHD, which unfortunately we reckon it's between 25 and 40% of people in prison or the criminal justice system have got diagnosed or undiagnosed ADHD so the path that our children could go down is horrendous um, so punishments do not work for our children with ADHD so I, I think trust your instinct keep on at it um, as a parent I would keep notes and I would um, keep a diary because eventually when you go to a psychiatrist um, and they say well can you tell us a little bit about what's gone on? Then you will have some good evidence to say that, you know, when he was two, he pulled down his pants and weed at a children's party. True story. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you, you're armed with that, that, that kind of unusual, let's say, behaviour that, that occurred. And this is why, but, but, Ramita, it's so easy to change that system. It's so easy. I, I, I've done a training uh, when, for your school when you were, were teaching. Um, and I say to, when I'm doing my teach training, I, I say, you can do this tomorrow. This is not, it's, this isn't anything that's expensive. There's no equipment involved. It's just changing your expectation and your attitude of what these children can do. They're beautiful children, they're creative, they're imaginative. They have energy bouncing out of every pore of their body. Um, so harness that, change things so that make it okay for a child to, to uh, just focus for 10 minutes and then go off and have a movement break or go and organize something or go and sharpen some pencils or whatever it is because they need to have a break, then come back and let them carry on with their work or break it down into small steps or allow them to do a, a project in the way that they want to, what, however they feel creative, you know, just have a change of attitude and expectation and our children can shine. Um, try and get them to 
squash into this tiny weeny little box that you want them to, they will either explode because our children find it very, this is another thing I haven't spoken about, but our children find it very difficult to manage their emotions. They get flooded with emotions very, very quickly. So if you push a child against a wall, I'm not talking about literally, or, or it could be literally, but you know, if you if you if you hem a child in with ADHD and, and insist that you do it your way, but don't listen to their way, there is no way out for them than to explode. And then obviously that's going to cause more and more anger. Interestingly, yesterday I was speaking to, um, I was on a webinar and there was an ex-offender and um, he said he got expelled from school because he was super smart and he was in a PE lesson. Uh, This was secondary school and um, he was trying to tell the PE teacher, um, they were talking about the range of muscles and the PE teacher got it wrong. And this kid said, and I told him, it's not that muscle, it's this muscle. And he said, he argued with me for 20 minutes. And in the end, I threw a chair at him and then he got expelled. But he was right. You know, and the teacher wouldn't listen to him and he was right. Um, so I just think we need to, you, you spoke about kindness at the beginning. Where do we stop thinking that we need to be in control or we need to be the bosses of children or we need to rule over a child? We don't, we just need to be kind and we need to listen to them because quite often, they are right. So listen and hear what they've got to say and change how we do things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such an important thing and such a complex one, isn't it? I think there are, you know, so many pressures and, and things that teachers seem to be under. There are lots of parents who, you know, and, and I don't blame anyone, and obviously it's a very personal choice, who who want an, almost an, an out or an easy way through this. Not an easy, I shouldn't say easy. None of this is easy. but are looking for a solution because they're solution orientated and the idea around medication which you touched on briefly earlier is a big topic and we you know I'm not going to try and open up the big debate but I just wonder from your own experience if you wouldn't mind sharing just a couple of benefits of medicating a child you know whilst embracing their superpowers I know but there are there must be times where it becomes so hard for parents to manage it all that they do need help. So I think it's worth saying um, ADHD is a neurodiverse condition. It's not just a behaviour. MRI scans have proved that an ADHD brain behaves in a different way. Um, It looks different, the mass is different, and the chemicals within the brain that are sending the messages to the the back part of the brain, which controls thought, emotions, movement, does not consistently work. So the messages do not consistently get through to the part of the brain that controls how we think, how we speak, how we feel and what we're doing. So with ADHD, uh, I personally feel it, it that to help a person with ADHD flourish and thrive and live the best life that they can, they need multiple things to help them. So, but the thing that does help is medication because medication is supplying the brain with the movement of chemicals that a child with ADHD is lacking. Um, I have families who swear by it. I have families who have tried medication and it hasn't suited them. My, My advice is 
there's evidence that there's no long-term damage to be taking medication. All it does, it's all, all very short-term because it stimulates the chemicals in the brain. It replaces the chemicals in the brain. And once you stop taking that, the brain goes back to the state that it was before. Um, so there is no harm in trying medication if that's what you want. I would say alongside that, you have to do all the other things. You have to put all the other things in place as well. And also, if you are going to, to take medication, you need to have regular reviews of that medication because you might need changes of dose and you might need the different family stimulant or non-stimulant, or you might need a different medication. So if your psychiatrist is going to say, yes, medication, and you want to give it a try, it could be that you just get that diagnosis, you get the prescription, and then they say, off you go, have a nice life. Um, whereas I would insist on, on, on more um, uh, reviewing and feedback. Interesting. And I think you've hit a really important point there, and that being the multidisciplinary approach to raising the child, you know, particularly those kids with additional needs. I think that whole array of, of things that you mentioned there, it affects so many things, including your emotional well-being, right? And, and I think when a young person is already struggling with all the day-to-day -day thing, and like you said about your lovely son who's, who said his eyes you know, were still, or, you know, became still, I, I remember having a student tell me, oh goodness, you know, Mrs. Anand, it was like the first time in my life, all the fog in my brain lifted. Yeah, exactly. So we, we need to, as adults, be, be, be the behavior detectives. And we need to see, like I was saying before, you know, the gut instinct, we need to think, okay, well, they can't do it how we want them to do it, but let's make them the champion of something. Let's build them up. And make them, you know, the 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 monitor, the prefect. You know, I had a little boy um, when I was teaching, and um, he had all sorts of difficulties. But we sussed out he couldn't do maths. But if you gave him a birth date like 1950, he would say, "Oh, well, that means that person's 71 years old." You know, he immediately could do. You know, for him that was the thing. You know, he could do that. So we, we got him standing in front of the classroom every day and people pumped dates at him and he could immediately say how old that person was. And that was his thing, you know, instead of him being told off because he wasn't focusing or he wasn't doing this or why are you interfering and this is none of your business and all the negative stuff, um, he was made the champion, the champion of dates. We were talking about statistics before, Amita, and one terrible, terrible statistic. Um, it's been estimated that by the time a child is age 12, someone who has di been diagnosed with ADHD will have heard 20,000 more negative messages than somebody not diagnosed. So 20,000. So, you know, and that's just things like, turn around, stop talking. Where's your lunchbox? Why have you forgotten your letter? you know, all that kind of stuff. So if you've heard that message 20,000 times, you're going to start thinking, do you know what? I, there is something wrong with me. I am a terrible person, you know, and you get the teenagers who think, well, do you know what? Sod it. I'm going to be, I'm going to be this person that you want me to be because you've told me enough times. And that's why they then end up on the, the slippery, scary road to, um, not a very nice life.
what a vicious cycle. And I, and it sort of really sort of addresses the, well, it brings back to me at least the idea that not only is it important for us to understand the difficulties that these young children are going through, but the way we communicate what they're going through for them to understand what they're having to face. Because I imagine it's a, it's a whole convoluted web of questions and worries and we're not always equipped as adults. And so I think a lot of us might shy away or just not bring it up because it's easier. Um, and I want, you know, and I wonder what you think about that and whether or not you get lots of families that come and talk to you about maybe any kind of blame or even shame uh, that they associate with either themselves or with the or, or with what's going on in their home. Add into the mix that ADHD is highly genetic. So it's likely that one of the parents, one of the grandparents, one of the aunts, one of the uncles has ADHD. Um, so you add that into the mix of, uh, you know, great, let's add that into the guilt pops because I've given them ADHD. Um, uh, uh, but we need to get over that. You know, we need to climb that particular hurdle because it is what it is. You might have given them blue eyes, but you also might have given them something about you you that makes life a bit tricky but we are very lucky that we're living now in this generation with this knowledge with this understanding with this we are going to bust this bloody stigma because if we can move forward and just say you know it, it my child is it does does think in a different way my child does learn in a different way my child so socializes in a different way but that's actually okay so, yeah, we have to get past that guilt and blame because it's nobody's fault. It's nothing we're doing wrong. Um, it's what, what makes me upset sometimes is parents are being told you need to go on a parenting class. Parents of children with ADHD are superheroes in themselves because managing, managing their lives, managing their emotions, their um, mental well-being on top of helping and supporting their children. It, it's a huge challenge, but... You know, with more awareness, um, thank you for inviting me to do this because for more people who can hear and understand that our children are not naughty, they're not lazy, they're not stupid, they're not broken, they're not ill, they have just got a brain that is behaving in a different way. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally agree with that. I think you're, you're absolutely right on teaching children not what to think, but how to think. The importance of these conversations, as you mentioned, isn't just for parents with ADHD. It's almost as important for all the adults around that don't have children with ADHD to hear these conversations, equally for the children in the classrooms that don't have the same difficulties that some of their classmates might have, for them to show some of the superpowers that we talk about, you know, with kindness and empathy, you know, really being able to, you know, show some compassion to other people that are working almost twice if not triple if not 10 times harder than the kid next door to them who we tried to, to, to talk openly more about it than we would bust the stigma as you say um but I wonder what it's like for a mum and a dad who is you know looking at both of their children one with difficulties one without and how they cope with that and how that might impact family dynamics that's also a really great question and something that comes up an awful lot um, in my in, with my clients because 
we did a lot wrong. Um, when David was diagnosed in the early 90s, nobody was really talking about ADHD and we did masses wrong, absolute masses. Um, six years later, my daughter came along, so she's six years younger. Um, and we did masses wrong there as well. You know, she sat there like a little angel quietly while this madness went uh, around her. We'd go to restaurants and have to leave because there was a problem. We'd go on holidays and there was one argument after another. Um, a lot of our focus and attention went on our son. So my daughter was very capable, very academic, incredibly sociable, emotionally intelligent, even beyond her years. Um, so being a sibling of a child with any kind of difficulty, there are, I mean, I, I see the world through rose-tinted glasses. I know I do, and I've, I've been told that too many times that it, you know. But my daughter has got skills now because of what happened. You know, she, she has got the most amazing resilience. She can problem-solve her way out of a disaster because she had to. She, has, she's, she understands other children um, who have got difficulties. She's kind and she's tolerant and she's very very compassionate about other people's feelings on the converse side she really lost out on a, on a huge amount of stuff what the siblings need is time to process everything and to talk about how hard it is to be a sibling how hard it is that things are always mucked up how hard it is that um a parent's attention will be will will predominantly be on the sibling the the other thing which is a bit sadder I think we shouldn't have expectation that we're going to be the Brady Bunch and be happy families like the Waltons and all sit around the table and have a lovely family meal because it's too chaotic yeah that's an important message as well isn't it and it's, it's great to hear you say that you don't have to you know mimic the white company catalogue which I used to want to think so in my own playroom should be white and one child would be beautifully colouring in this teepee and my other child would be, you know, in, in it, it, families are messy and life is messy. Uh, and, and be very mindful when you're watch, looking at Facebook because people only put on the images that they want the world to see. They're not seeing the chaos. They're not seeing the rows and the arguments. So if it upsets you seeing other parents you know, particularly this lockdown, you know, who's doing all this stuff perfectly, they're obviously going to put it on Facebook. So if it upsets you, stay away from it because it's not useful or helpful and it's not truthful. Yeah, and that's that's a really and a great insight from you as well. And speaking of insights from you, I know you offer all sorts of support and if parents did want to get in touch with you, obviously those that are in the UK, but possibly online resources for anyone else listening internationally, how can they contact you? I do run an online membership, so that's available for everybody, whoever, wherever they are. But I think I think the thing that really works best is I do one-to-one clients. So we come on Zoom and we speak for an hour and I hear exactly where the difficulties are and uh, we hone it down and we come up with some real practical um, solutions. And I have clients, you know, all I, I have had clients from, 
from various parts of um, the world and the UK. So if anybody um, would fancy some one-to-one um, -one training, bespoke, individualised for their family, I'd be more than happy to, to have a chat. But let's all have this conversation that, you know, it can be amazing to, to have a, a unique neurodiverse brain. Amazing to think of it that way. I feel empowered and I feel excited for, for other parents as well. I know it's not an easy thing. Well, that's a wonderful note to end on, Polly. I can't um, thank you enough for enlightening us with all these wonderful snippets of absolute incredible insight, but also compassion and letting people know that they're not alone. I think your work and support for parents and educators actually and um, together we are stronger we are thank you great <laughs> I did feel very alone when um when my son was diagnosed and it was awful so that this you know if we now can put out that message you are amazing parents you're not alone you're doing the very very best and you are lucky that you have such an amazing beautiful child so thank you for asking me and for sharing my story. Absolutely, Sally. And I promise all the things that you've mentioned and the websites you've mentioned will all be linked to the show notes for all the listeners who might be interested in getting more information on anything that we mentioned today. Perfect. Thank you. Take care. Keep safe. Well, thank you, Sally, for bringing your wealth of experience and incredible knowledge to the Elevate podcast today. I think the conversation will offer so much support and insight to so many out there who are looking to support those with ADHD. Of course, if you're looking for any more information, please do refer to the show notes because there are links to more resources there. And please do feel free. I encourage you to share the podcast with others as it really helps us spread awareness. Let's work together to bust the stigmas around ADHD. Thank you again for being here and joining me for the conversation. I can't wait to have you with me again next week. Until then, bye.